Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Techniche Tips. I am your host, Joseph M. Smith, and I know I always say I have a special one for you. I, I do. I know I always do that. But this one, this one's this one's different. This one's different, y'all. Uh, so different that I'm going to read this individual's bio before I even mention his name. Okay. This person, I'm going to make it sure you know it's a he, <laughs> is a U.S. Army and National Guard veteran who transitioned into the tech industry full-time in 2014 and quickly gained experience in everything from project management to solution architecture and even software deployments. He leveraged his previous background in banking and has found a niche within the financial technology space. In this short time, he successfully managed multi-million dollar projects for Mizuho Bank in NYC, Tokyo, Mexico, the list goes on, as well as software implementations for Banco Estado in Santiago, Chile, plus many more here in stateside. In 2022, this individual was nominated for the Silicon Valley Business Journal's 40 Under 40. He's now looked to as a subject matter expert for digital banking and payments trends by regional banks and credit unions alike. He now serves as the Director of Partnerships and Procurement at Lumen Digital, a cloud-based fintech firm based in San Ramon, California, and helps spearhead the organization's diversity and inclusion efforts. But when he's not traveling for a conference and providing thought leadership to bankers or managing his 200-plus vendor relationships, which includes Zelle, AWS, Apple, Pfizer, the big boys, Cortez and his wife are quietly building a vacation rental empire with properties in six U.S. cities, including Costa Rica and New Mexico. Now, I could go on, but I'm not going to delay it because I said his name already. I'm going to bring to the stage Mr. Cortez Adams. Oh, Mr. Cortez Adams. I'm so excited to have you here on Techniche Tips. This is a treat for not only my audience, but this is a treat for myself. I promise not to fanboy out. But what I would say is I'm going to give you your flowers now and tell you thank you for silently doing what I'm going to, I'm going to, because I'm a believer, silently doing what the Lord has called you to do, which is to steward what's in front of your hands well, so that we can have an example to follow. So, I mean, just, I don't want to give you your flowers, man. I just want to give you your flowers first and foremost, you know, as a, (laughs) and thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I have to say this because this is the nature of what I do here at Techniques Tips. We start from the boots, which is symbolic of the journey you took to get to where you are. And then we take the travel all the way up to the brain, which is symbolic of the mindset one needs to have to be where you are and to scale from there. So with that being said, Mr. Cortez, let's start from the very beginning, because I believe the beginning is a very good place to start. So tell us from the beginning from young Cortez and his life growing up. Oh man, good stuff, good stuff. Um, you know, first off, uh, again, thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm always uh, always honored and, uh, you know, I don't take these things lightly. So I know people are watching and I love your platform, man. Keep doing what you do. Um, but, you know, when it comes to me, as far as like the background, um, I would say, you know, I probably have a similar background to a, a lot of young African-American men who, who look like me. Um, for a lot of young boys who grew up in the inner city. I grew up in D.C., uh, born in Northeast D.C., uh, raised in PG County, Maryland. So anybody from the DMV, you know, stand up, you know, represent the DMV area. Um, 
graduated from Suitland High School. I was a runner. I was a football player in, in school. And I leveraged athletics as a way for me to, you know, make it out of, you know, that area and a, that environment, a single mother uh, raised by a single mom um, to make it out of that environment and go on to college. You know, I had a strong black woman in my ear, in my corner and a, and a family, a strong family fabric, I think, that helped raise me from, you know, my grandfather, who was a, a, a bustling entrepreneur um, who I spent my summers with and kind of really sat at the table of. Um, you know, to a godfather who was kind of in the streets, but a hustler, but an entrepreneur in his own right, who I learned from, from my father who came around in my life later in my life, who I learned from as well, who was just in multi-level marketing and an entrepreneur in his own way, and eventually ended up in the technology field as well. So as we kind of bonded and grew our relationship, I learned a little bit from those three men, as well as my mother and those women, strong women around me, um, that kind of helped shape me and mold me kind of as a young man. But I made it to college. I ended up going to Fairleigh Dickinson University. So uh, T-neck, uh, New Jersey. Um, so I was an athlete there and, you know, a scholarship athlete, four years and record holder, broke some records at the school for track and um, met my wife in college. But I studied financial um, you know, finance and business. And I eventually majored in business management with a concentration in MIS. Um, so I know a lot of people go to college and they, they don't use the things that they learn in school. Well, <clears throat> I was lucky enough and I would say blessed enough to be able to study what I actually do. Right. The things that I studied in college and the internships that I did while I was in school, being a part of a small school, I think kind of helped me really get that hands on attention in school. And I had some people that took me under their arms, you know, young black kid coming from D.C., going to a a private university in a Jewish neighborhood, you know, although I was an athlete amongst some other minorities in my, in my business classes and in my IT classes, I kind of stood out, right. I was a bunch of you know, Indians and, and Asians and, you know, a few local kids from the, from the neighboring towns in New York, New Jersey. Uh, but not a lot of people that look like me in my, in my classes as well. Um, but I think they saw maybe something in me that maybe I didn't even see in myself. So my counselors, my professors, again, spent time with me and uh, had patience with me and, uh, you know, and, and got me in the door. Some really good internships that I think helped mold me and my desires to move into the tech field and to do some of the things that I've been able to do. And obviously what I've been able to do now, one of my professors, for example, um, was um, a hedge fund manager on Wall Street, uh, but also worked in uh, worked in the university setting. Um, one of my other professors was a uh, world renowned writer and author. Um, he now writes for the Harvard Business Journal and a bunch of other publications. I think he's even been posted in the New York Times and, you know, things like that. Still today, still to this day, I still follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, Professor Beeson. So shout out to Professor Beeson. Um, you know, I've had just some really good influential people throughout my life as I developed um, that kind of helped shape me and kind of helped to get me to where I am. So I'm grateful for those settings. But that's kind of the start and kind of the early days, if you will, kind of from growing up in the DMV and kind of on to college. No, that is great. And I'm really glad that you talked about the DMV for a little bit because I like to peel back the onion. I believe that the journey that we each have in our life is not a way of circumstances and things like that that just kind of haphazardly happen. They actually build us and actually train us and mold us into who we are today. My wife was saying this the other day when I actually got a job in tech and I was talking to her about exactly what it was that I was going to be doing. And she said, I think about who you are. I think about your, I think about the jobs that you had, you were built for this. And I stood there and I said, well, you're right. So 
<laughs> so with that being said, I want to peel back a little bit of the onion because you talked about your mother. You talked about, you know, your, your grandfather. You talked about your father. You talked about seeing these this lineage of hardworking entrepreneurs. And so I wanted to kind of peel back the onion for those that are wondering, could you dive in a little bit deeper about that, about your upbringing in regards to how that molded you? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, number one, you know, I was the first person in my mother's side of the family to graduate from college. I'd had a few, um, you know, aunt and uncle who went to school. Um, they were, you know, successful in athletics and they were able to make it to college, but didn't graduate. Um, so it was important to me. It was important to my mom. She instilled that in me to, hey, go to school. You're going to graduate no matter what. And kind of some of those hurdles I think that I face is, you know, my wife and I met in college. You know, we were young athletes and you know, and romance in the eyes and all of that. And we had a baby in college. Um, so my wife being a couple of years older than me um, was already finished her undergraduate degree and kind of was moving on to grad school. I was still finishing up uh, my undergrad degree and, you know, athlete and school and internships and boom, she's pregnant. We have a baby. Uh, so I had a baby in college and finished my last two years as a father. Um, so that's when I really saw my network really step in. And not only was it like words, but it was, you know, really action at that point of, hey, no matter what, you're going to finish school. You're going to go off and do something with yourself. We're not going to let this, you know, quote unquote mistake stop you um, or quote unquote derail you. We want you to continue on in your track career and obviously in your academics. So uh, shout out to the network and uh, to the family that actually stepped up and was able to help me. Uh, kind of support my young little family until I was able to support them, you know, when I graduated. But, but yeah, so definitely, you know, mom, you know, worked in the accounting field, still works in the accounting field herself, um, you know, out of the DMV area. Uh, dad works in tech. Like I said, he's a senior leader in the federal government, actually, for DOT. He's uh, one of the chief architects for the Department of Transportation on the technology uh, side uh, with one of the big uh, defense contractors. I'll, I'll leave it there. You know how that goes with security clearances and everything, um, you know, does does really well now. Uh, you know, we, we weren't doing well back in the day, but he does well now. Mom does well now separately, um, you know, so so glad glad to see them do well. But then coming up again, I had kind of some examples that I would say that I looked to, even though they weren't clear examples of what I wanted to do career wise. They were examples of just hardworking people that I looked up to. My grandfather, number one, you know, I had his own trucking company, uh, had a successful trucking company in Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, I don't know how many people were doing it at the time, but in the 80s and 90s, you didn't see black men running successful businesses in the 80s and 90s in Ohio. Um, that just wasn't, uh, you know, just wasn't seen. It, it wasn't a normal thing. Um, when I would visit him over the summers, I would leave our little apartment in the hood in Oxon Hill, Maryland or Suitland, Maryland in a little one or two bedroom apartment with rats and roaches. And, you know, we we getting by and we doing what we got to do to make it. And, you know, I would go, you know, mom would put me on a Southwest Airlines flight and I would jump on an airplane. She would put me on with my backpack and my little luggage bag. And my grandma and grandpa would pick me up in, in, at the airport in Cleveland and I would go to a, a five bedroom house that I thought at the time was a mansion with a with multiple cars. My grandfather drove a Corvette, a pickup truck. Uh, you know, my, my older uh, uncles at the time were in rather high school or going off to college. They had cars and there was pools in the neighborhood and white picket fences. So I got a chance to get out of the hood, get out of my environment every summer, 
to go again, essentially learn from my grandfather, who was a successful entrepreneur, and to see a family dynamic that I think has helped me also see what a successful family dynamic can be and can look like, right? With grandma and grandpa and their kids and that dynamic of, you know, sitting down at the dinner table and having a conversation about your day and how it was practiced. And those little things that I think for me go beyond tech, go beyond professional endeavors. But those are things I think helped me kind of mold me, if you will, um, as a young man. So, so that drive, that work ethic, that ability to provide for your family, um, that, that, you know, that innate ability to kind of just steward your home uh, as the man of your house um, and, and those responsibilities that come along with that. I think those are some of the important things that I think have shaped me throughout my childhood. Everything else on the tech side, I would say I just kind of followed those desires that God put in me and I kind of just stumbled along the way. Um, but, you know, I think God put some really influential people in my path with every opportunity that gave me an idea or shaped my next step. Um, mm -hmm. I had a really influential boss, my first internship in tech. I was working at a fintech company. I'm sorry, at a healthcare tech company, Beckton Dickinson in uh, Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Um, I had a boss his name was Jeff. So I'm interning. I'm making about $18 an hour at the time. Pretty good internship to to be getting paid 18 an hour plus benefits just to work over the summer, right? Um, I think this was in my junior year, getting ready to go into my senior year. Um, and I'm working the internship. He pulls me aside towards the end. He said, look, out of the 10 interns we have, they're only going to probably offer full-time jobs to two of them, to two of you guys. Um, I don't think you're technical enough to get offered the position, but don't trip. White guy, Irish guy, great guy. He said, he said, but don't trip. I think where you're going is going to be even better than where this company is going to pigeonhole those people into than the role that they're going to go into. So he said, I want you this semester when you go back to school to focus on these three things. He gave me a couple things to focus on that he wanted me to sharpen, that he wanted me to kind of study and, and get, get familiar with. And uh, those are kind of some of the things that I took with me into my senior year. And I was able to kind of refine that. Now, the luck of the draw was when I graduated, uh, when I graduated school, I couldn't find a, a, an offer in tech. So I ended up not going directly into tech. Couldn't find the right role that would compensate me at an entry level coming out of school that I felt was fair. So I ended up going into finance and banking, uh, as you know, benefited me later. But at the time, I thought it was kind of a step back. Um, but again, you know, shout out to the people in your corner and those opportunities that you don't know how it's going to work out in the end. But, you know, I just kind of was able to just hold on to faith and just kind of stay aggressive and stay active until I got to where I wanted to be. Hey there. Thank you so much for watching this video. This video is actually sponsored by Course Careers. So whether you're interested in breaking in as a tech sales representative, if you're interested in actually doing IT or digital marketing, not only do they have free introductory courses for you right now, go to the description and check that out, but they also have $50 off that you could get from, through me, Joseph50. That's right, $50 off through Joseph50. So if you're interested in getting into that course, any which one, whether it's, again, tech sales, IT, or digital marketing, look no further. Go down to the description below, click on the link, and sign up right now. What are you waiting for? Woo. Man, that, there are so many gems in what you said. There are so many gems from the fact that you had 
a village around you at that time and you had great examples around you at that time and you had people that believed in you and championed you during your seasons of life i i I, you know what it cannot be said enough that as a community we need to be able to do that for one another we need to champion one another there's plenty for of, of for of us all and we need to champion those around us and propel them forward so that we can yeah. see a lot more success uh, from people that are looking to pivot into tech and then just life in general. So, so with that, man, that's so good. And I, I'm listening to your story and I'm like, I remember you said you were in the army and the national guard. When, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. So man, it's so funny. So I took that job at, in banking coming out of school. Um, I took a job at PNC. They offered me pretty good money, man. Like not bad coming out of college. And remember, I had a young baby, so I was thinking about paying bills. Even though I had IT offers, the banking offers were way higher. They were $20,000, $25,000 a year higher than my best job in tech. So for me, as a young dad, I was thinking, man, I got to provide. I got to buy milk. I got to buy diapers, right? I, gotta, I, gotta, I, can't have my, I can't have my girlfriend at the time. You know, going back and forth from New York to New Jersey, I, I got to get a place that's big enough for us. And so I had all those other things on my mind. So I decided to I kind of do the banking thing. But then shortly after I visited my mom after I graduated college, my mom had remarried, moved to Atlanta. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, Renee, we would go visit her in Atlanta. And I fell in love with Georgia and the space and the nice homes and the quiet streets and the playgrounds and the greenery and the trees. And, you know, I kind of fell in love with that. And I kind of liked the suburban lifestyle. I thought it'd be a good place to raise a family. Um, So I decided to stay in banking, but move and relocate uh, down to Georgia. As soon as I got here, I recognized that my job at the time, although I was making like 60,000 a year at the time as a young guy, 60,000 to me was like, you know, big money. I was, I was rolling. Um, it, they cut my they cut my pay when I moved to Georgia because it was a lower cost of living state. So now I'm like, man, okay, I was making good money. Now I'm not. Now I'm kind of, you know, 30, 40,000 or something like that in that range. What else can I do to kind of offset my income to kind of help me out, give me some additional benefits? So uh, military, you know, I thought about, let's look at the reserves. I can get benefits. I get some extra money per month. Remember, I was a college athlete. So uh, fitness and push-ups and boot camp and things like that didn't, you know, didn't scare me. Um, I got yelled at my whole life playing football and running track, right? So no big deal. Uh, so I decided to join the National Guard in Georgia and uh, gave me some nice additional income. I was a 92 Romeo, which for anybody out there, that's a parachute rigger. So I was airborne uh, certified. I jumped out of airplanes and did a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I probably had no business doing. My wife was scared probably the whole time. Uh, but I did that on the weekends, uh, one week in a month, you know, two weeks in the summer. And um, I did get activated once uh, throughout my career for about six months um, in the reserves. But I did it essentially to kind of give me some additional income, give me some benefits that would help my family. And it worked out. It worked out. I learned a lot, made some good friends and connections. Um, and during that time, I learned that they had some additional benefits that allowed me to go back to school and make that critical transition into tech. So I leveraged some of that money, some of that benefit money to go back to school, take some additional classes. Um, and those are the tech classes that I took that propelled me, boom, right into the technology field. Wow. Wow. And, and you know what? You said the word earlier, and I said this to you prior to us coming live, but stewardship. 
I, I see you as a man that has seen what's in his hands and you said to yourself or you said to those that you are responsible for, I'm going to steward this well. And I think it's a principle that once you steward things well, you will be able to get more that's placed in your hands. And so we're talking about how you were able to, you know, basically go being a National Guard. You're like, man, how am I going to take care of my family? That's one of the reasons that got me into tech. I don't know if you know this about me, but I got six children. And, oh, um, and I won't, I, I mean, the last story, I, I'll, for those that don't know, you have to listen to the interview I had with Justin Worthen on Tech Journey on his channel. But basically, literally having my last child in the car minutes away from the hospital room. Baby wasn't breathing at the moment. Wow. Um, you know, and, and in those moments, you're like, man, how do I, what do I do, right? And so you decided to take the step of stewardship and really propel your family, do the, a lot of the hard work, you know, because it's not easy to be working a job and then you got to be doing the reserve on the weekends and stuff like that. But you do what you do for the ones that you love. You do for, not for your first name, but your last name. And yeah. so, and so that being said, I, I seen your LinkedIn at, you got you had a lot of jobs in tech. <laughs> you had a lot of jobs. <laughs> could, could you take us through? I mean, and honestly, you are probably the best person to talk about what would be the best career for somebody based on their personality, their experiences, because you have seen the gamut. Can you take us through that period of time when you got into tech and all the different levels of jobs and roles and responsibilities that you held? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, my first job in tech, again, coming out of the military, I was still working in banking, doing the military on the weekends, right? Um, you know, did my did a couple certifications, took a PMP course, you know, took an ITIL uh, course. And my job was to, how do I become a project manager in, in the tech field, leverage my banking background somehow? That was my whole goal. And uh, kind of similar to my buddy Cyrus, man, shout out to Cyrus and, you know, and everything he's doing, um, we were driving Uber on the side as well. So not only was I in the reserves, not only was I working in banking, I was also driving Uber part-time, right? So I'm driving Uber, Lyft, and every other thing I could get my hands on to bring in some money, right? So I was a side hustler before it was cool to be doing side hustles, right? <laughs> so, so, so I'm doing all this, but driving Uber allowed me to meet people because one of my main routes that I would do for Uber was airport runs. And in Atlanta, um, when you do airport runs, you can get anywhere in the city from there. You pick somebody up from the airport, they can be going to Alpharetta. They can be going to Johns Creek. They can be going to Decatur. They can be going to Beaufort, Georgia, anywhere. So I was driving around the whole metro area. So if anybody's unfamiliar, I mean, that could be a two hour gap potentially from one side of town to the other with traffic. So in those car rides, I had time to talk to my passengers, to talk to my guests. Um, and I took those as opportunities to network, to network with people that I wouldn't regularly be able to interact with. And I was interacting with executives, business leaders, tech people that were traveling, that are doing the type of jobs that I got into later, but that were people that were traveling frequently that needed rides back home. So I was meeting sales engineers. I was meeting director of product. I was meeting director of sales. If I met people that were in the tech field, uh, I uh, gravitated towards them and I would make sure I would leverage that time wisely. And I learned a lot just in those brief conversations. So I got some advice of, hey, if you want to get into tech, some easy positions that I think someone with your skill set should do. A lady that worked at Pfizer, believe it or not, gave me this advice. She was an executive at Pfizer at the time. She told me, 
we hire PMs and account managers all the time with no tech experience, but that have experience dealing with our clients. And at Pfizer, our clients are financial institutions. And I said, hmm. So banks and credit unions are our clients. I know banking. I've been doing banking for the past five years since I graduated college. I'm really good at it. I'm doing pretty well. I'm just not getting paid enough. And I like tech and I study tech in school and I want to transition. So she said, look, just brush up on some project management principles, maybe get a certification and apply for project management jobs. You know, we'd love to hire you just based on your experience. So long story short, I never got a job at Fiserv, but I did exactly that. And um, I was able to get a job at a company called DNH. They no longer exist. They've been acquired since, you know, since then. Uh, but DNH is a global company. They were based actually, uh, funny enough, in Canada, uh, but they had a big operation in the U.S. and in West Coast and uh, in Colorado, and they had a small operation on the East Coast. Um, so I got offered the job, and they told me first things first: we're not going to give you the project management job, but we're going to give you this job instead, and it is a technical account manager. Uh, you're going to be working alongside the PM. But you're going to be managing relationships and we're going to give you our top banking clients and we're going to see how you do. You're technical enough that we think you can pick up the products that we sell to these clients. You can learn the ins and outs of the products. Right off the bat, they did that. I'm sorry. I don't need to, I don't need to interrupt my guess. Big, but right, right off the bat, they gave, they, they gave you that right off the bat? <laughs> right off, my first job in oh, tech. Man. My first job in tech. And, I'll, and I don't like to talk about money too much, but I'll give, give this guys to you guys. Um, they offered me a hundred, I think it was 110 or 115,000 out of the gate. First job in tech, six figures, you know, 110, 115,000 plus some bonuses. Um, very first job. And this is back in like 2013 or so. So I'm like, fantastic. Sign me up. So I didn't get the PM position that I wanted, but the HR team said, man, we think you'd be really good for this technical account manager role. What do you think? So I interviewed with the hiring manager. I'd already gotten through HR. So I just had one more interview at that point, ended up getting that job. But here's the caveat. They said, you got to leave Atlanta and you have to move to where the team is located for this digital banking team. And I said, okay, great. Where is it? Is it New York? Is it Toronto? I'm like, All right, it's going to be somewhere cool. They're like, it's going to be Denver, Colorado. So I'm like, man, Denver, Colorado. I'm like, I don't know about Denver, dude. Like if you haven't checked, like, I've lived in New Jersey a little bit. I'm from D.C. Those areas are kind of chilly. They get cold. But, man, I've never lived anywhere like Denver. I'm from the hood. Like, Denver was like a whole nother world to me, right? But I said, you know what? Man, I'm going to trust God on this, and I got to do what I got to do for my family. You know, sounds like a great opportunity. They're giving me a great chance here. I'm going to make the most of it, like you said. And I, I like to say leverage. I leverage the opportunities that – that were presented in front of me. I leveraged the opportunities that were, that were available. Right. I didn't kind of let them go by. I leveraged them. So I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Let's go. Sign me up. So uh, long story short, man, I ended up taking the job, moved to Denver. I lived there for two years and I excelled at that position. I managed those projects for, you know, for two, two or three of their largest clients for that two year period. I did really well. And in my second year in Denver, they actually gave me uh, a project management responsibility in addition to my account management role. So I was still managing the same relationships, but I was doing such a good job that the executive team at one of the banks at Mizuho Bank at the time, 
said, why don't we have him just run our projects too? Because the PM that you guys have working with us isn't getting the job done. I think Cortez can do it. Why don't you just let him manage the projects as well? So I got a raise and they also gave me a project management responsibility just for that one client. So I was able to get experience and get the hours I needed and the PM side of things to also add that to my resume. So my second year, kind of going into my third year with the company, um, I moved more into a PM role. So that's how I was able to kind of leverage and learn different disciplines all within the same company. Woo! Hey, hey. Yeah, man, man it, when we look back in our lives and we see the webs that are connected, it's like you can't make this stuff up. Like it's it, you can't make this stuff up. This is yeah. amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. I was, two, about- I was I was doing two jobs. I was doing two jobs. Same company at the same time. And I put both of them on my resume. Oh, <laughs> You got a cool kid say both of them now. They say both. Both of them. Yeah. B-O-A-F or however you spell it. it. Both, man. I was doing two jobs at the same time. And they increased my pay significantly because of that. So I was was double dipping. I was maximizing everything. And I was learning technology, man. I was. And at the time I was in Colorado, right? I had no friends in Colorado. It was my wife, my kids at the time. We had no friends. All I was doing was going to church. I was coming home. I was studying some new technology or something I could get my hands on at the company. So, and I wasn't just learning random stuff. I was focusing on the technology that my company was building and delivering, right? So I was mastering the technology. I became a subject matter expert in the three applications, our three main products that we sold. Um, And I think just because of that skill set and my confidence and my willingness to just jump in and and help anywhere I could, especially I didn't have a whole bunch of like, I didn't have a a social life, right? So I was just focused. It was family, it was church, it was work. So I think that ability to focus during that time really allowed me to shine and stand out to my leadership team and my clients who vouched for me. Man, man. And I think, and going back to that word stewardship, I think you were able to get all those different things because they said, they looked at you, they said, hey, listen, you're doing a great job. This other person, unfortunately, is not making the cut. We want to give you more. Yeah. We want to give you more. And so that's stewardship word. If you're listening, yeah. y'all, steward what you got, because you never know what that's going to lead to. So steward it in the season, yeah. and it's going to propel you forward. It's so funny you mentioned subject matter expert. In my particular company that I work for, we call the SME or the subject matter expert sales yeah. engineers. And I know you were one of sales. I know you were a sales engineer. I know you were a lot of different things. Yeah. Can you, if someone was to say, okay, what is, what was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what was your most, was, what was the role that you loved the most out of all the roles that you played? Cause you, yeah. I mean, this, uh, we did account executive was one. I think you were also a sales engineer, yeah. product manager, like, yeah. The list goes on. What yeah. was your what was the one? Man, no doubt. I, I honestly love being a sales engineer. And it, it sometimes at some organizations it goes by different roles, right? Be pre-sales engineer, solutions architect, sales engineer, sales architect, whatever, right? Essentially same role, right? And that ability, that skill set that it takes to be a sales engineer is is that ability to connect with people to be able to clearly articulate the value of a solution. Not only the features, but also the usability of that product, that service, that application. 
to be able to break that down to the end user, to be able to break that down to the buyer, whoever's making that buying decision. So you got to be technical, right? You've got to be, um, you know, you've got to be a, uh, you know, you've got to have that sales, you know, touch, right? You've got to have that ability to also break down those things that are complex in nature and make them simple and tie that to value, right? Tie that to value. So you got to pull on three to four different skill sets to be a successful sales engineer. And I felt like I had those naturally. I had to kind of work on one or two of them as I, as I grew in, in those roles, uh, but I gravitated towards that. So as I left kind of that role at DNH doing PM and account management, I went right into a technical account. I went right into, sorry, uh, a sales engineering role. And I did that for the next, I don't know, four years or so. Um, I just was traveling the world, uh, demoing products and demoing applications and helping our sales team win business. And, you know, in tech, if you can demonstrate success at, as a sales engineer, the compensation can be endless. So I went from, you know, 140, 150, 160,000 a year. Boom. Like that thing started going up real quick um, once I demonstrated success as a sales engineer. And my phone was ringing, you know, LinkedIn was ringing. My inbox was ringing all the time of opportunities. And then, you know, kind of the rest is history. Because once you become a sales engineer at multiple organizations, uh, then they can see your ability to do other things. Um, so that kind of led me into product management and kind of the, the vein that I'm in now, kind of in the product area. But I always loved my time as a sales engineer. It, it really took me to a different level financially. Um, I was able to, to really master my skills as a sales engineer that I think made me a really good director of product and even product strategy and all the things that I do now. Hey family, it's Joseph here again. Now you have heard me talk about how tech sales has changed my life. I actually want to introduce you to another career that if you decide to go into it, truly is recession proof and that is cybersecurity. Level Careers is a platform similar to Course Careers that is self-paced and allows you to obtain knowledge and ed education in cybersecurity and get this, without prior experience or a degree. That's right. And so you definitely want to get into that. And if you are interested in learning more about cybersecurity, go ahead and click the link below. It's in my description and use my promo code Joseph10. That's right. Use my promo code Joseph10 in order to save 10% off of the purchase price of that course. So without further ado, I'm not going to delay you. Go click on the link, check out the free introductory courses and change your life today. You're going to have a bunch of people <laughs> go into these boot camps, be like, I want to be a sales engineer like Cortez. Go, go, get them in there, man. Let's go. I love it. Oh man, no that 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 is so that is so amazing because people don't know about these different these different roles and so the fact that you could bring light to that is 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 really yeah. great. Now I need to I need it I I got we got to highlight this because this is a huge part of your story. Yeah. You're make you're doing really well in tech, and then you decide to and this has probably been a part of your plan along because I know a lot of people get into tech so that they could actually provide provide financing for their businesses and their capital yeah. for their businesses and so. Airbnb, let's talk about it. Like, when did that come about? And now it's like a seven-figure empire you guys have. It's amazing. Let's talk about it. Yeah, man. No, you know, for me, like I said, even in the early days, before I even got into tech, I was always open to do other things outside of my nine-to-five, outside of my day job, right? 
you know, I, I took that from, you know, my, my mom who was doing taxes on the side. She was working accounting and doing a little something on the side. My dad, who was in multi-level marketing and working for the government, right, and hosting events with my uncle and a bunch of other stuff. You know, my grandfather, who was a, an entrepreneur, right? So I've always kind of had that, you know, in me to, to do more and want more and want a better life and to be able to provide a better life for my family, right? So I've I always had that work ethic. Um, so for me, getting into tech was also a way to give myself flexibility, not to punch a clock at an office anymore, to now work from my office at home. So I, I essentially work remote or a flexible hybrid schedule from day one, as soon as I got into tech, right? Pretty much 10 years ago. Um, you know, so I had that flexibility. Now, I took that flexibility to hone my skills initially. So I didn't do any side hustles for those first two two and a half years, I focused on tech. I focused on getting better, sharper, getting in the organization, socializing and networking within the tech space so I can elevate. But then once I got to a certain level after maybe two and a half, three years, I quickly been able, you know, was able to put some money aside, start stashing some money and start preparing for my moves that I wanted to do outside of that. So I started, you know, with investing in real estate just by getting my first place. Um, once I once I did that, I was able to, you know, get into Airbnb. And I thought about ways that I can start a side hustle that didn't involve a lot of hands on work after the initial setup. So I was OK doing things remote. I was OK putting in a little bit of work over a couple of days to get started. But what I didn't want was another job. I didn't want another job that required a lot of my time. I was OK doing things that required capital, but not time. So uh, for me, real estate and Airbnb kind of was the way to go. So I got my first place um, on Airbnb. It was a condo here in Atlanta, uh, two bedroom, two bath condo. And uh, the rest is history, man. I ended up negotiating with the owner uh, at the building, a Jewish guy and his brother. They're real cool. Um, I go in, I meet them and they're like, dude, you already got one condo. Now you want more? I'm like, yes, I need two more at least. Um, actually, I, I asked for like five, but they were like, no. Like, not happening. We're not giving you five. And I was like, all right, let me get at least two more. So, you know, they invited me over and we sat down and, and you know, sat down, had a meal and talked a little bit about it. And we settled on two more. So I negotiated a deal to get those three in the same building. I took those three and leveraged that into getting two or three more. And I took all the capital that I was making in those early days in Airbnb and just reinvested it and kept doing more properties. I went from there and opened up units in North Carolina. I had a successful unit in North Carolina that funded my first property in Savannah. So I go to Savannah, I get a property in Savannah. And after I started having some success and posting about it online, people started reaching out to me and asking me for like advice or to become their mentor. And I didn't get into it to become a mentor or to, to really do that. I was just doing it as, hey, this is something my wife and I like doing. You know, she loved real estate and design and homes and all those things. So it came natural for us to work together on those things. Um, and I just talked about it on social media. I wasn't doing it to attract people to try to become their mentor or coach. But after so many people reaching out, I'm like, well, you know what? This might be a business opportunity here that I'm slipping on. Maybe I should help people. And there could be a, a revenue stream there. So long story short, man, I decided to go ahead and start a mentor program, start coaching people. Started doing things on social media, on Facebook Live. A buddy of mine, Derek, 
we started a, a Facebook Live session that we would call Money Talk Tuesdays. So we would get on on Tuesdays and talk about side hustles. And it wasn't just Airbnb. We would educate people for free, no charge. It was just Facebook Live. And, and we would get on and just talk about making money outside of your nine to five. We talked about Toro. We talked about Airbnb, right? We talked about you know VRBO and a bunch of other things um, that can give you some additional ideas and maybe spur some ideas. We talked about drop shipping because along the way, I've probably tried everything. Airbnb and real estate investing has been the thing that I've stayed with throughout the entire period, though. So that's obviously what I specialized in. And now looking back, we've launched now over 35, 36 uh, Airbnb properties. Um, only about you know 12 or 13 of them have been for myself. The rest of them were for clients or partners of mine. Um, that's just the U.S. side of it. And then I've now worked with people to launch in Costa Rica. Um, I work with a client in Jamaica to launch her first property in Jamaica. So shout out to her. She's got a great property in Jamaica, um, you know, New York, New Jersey. And then most recently, uh, we launched our first project in Mexico. So we're in Tulum, Mexico now as well. Um, so that's an amazing project that I'm excited about. We now have that live um, on Airbnb and on VRBO, booking.com. Uh, so excited to kind of see what the future holds. I like um, Mexico. Um, I plan to focus a little bit more there um, over the next probably next two years um, and then kind of see what the future holds. I got my eyes on a few other countries um, that that have some good uh, rates of return. And um, I, I like the atmosphere and a few others. But Mexico is going to be a focus for our company probably for the next two years. Absolutely. Mexico should be without the no taxes. <laughs> you know, it should be, you know, and it's just different over there, man. And, and I'm going to add something to what you said, because I know you're being modest, but this is what kind of blew my mind. You're not only talking about the Airbnb, you're tying that to Turo. You're tying that to your the property management groups for those different projects. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong here, but yeah. with my research, you're, you're cleaning services you're tying to those airbnbs and verbos so this is not just like one or two just properties this is an ecosystem that you're creating around this which honestly is ingenious it really is because there's gonna be other airbnbs and other verbos who are gonna need a cleaning service and you're gonna be in the area already yeah man that's what it's all about if you can create that ecosystem where you can exchange money not only you know you could take that one dollar that a client is willing to come to your town um, they want to book an Airbnb. Now you got them, right? You got that client. And if you can upsell them on a vehicle to drive around when you're in town, or if not a vehicle, transport to get to the Airbnb, right? And then when they get to the Airbnb, if they need other services. Uh, so in my early days, when I was in Atlanta, doing a bunch in Atlanta, uh, we were kind of just rapidly opening up properties in Atlanta left and right. You know, I had one of my properties that was like a party spot where I noticed, man, a lot of my guests were at, and you got to listen to your guests. This is something that like, I, I never thought I was like an expert. I just thought I was always open to ideas. If you're always open and you're always learning and in that mode of learning and listening to your client, listening to your customer, you can adapt, right? You can adjust and you can pivot. So for me, I noticed that a lot of my clients were bringing hookah and, and wine and liquor and all kinds of stuff to the property. And originally, I was like, no, they can't be doing that. I don't want them doing that in my property. But then I said, well, they're doing it anyway. 
<laughs> doing it anyway. So my wife, you know, being being the woman that she is, Sister Renee, says, uh, absolutely not. You know, I don't want them doing that in our properties. You know, they can't be smoking and drinking and all that crazy stuff. And I said, look, they doing it anyway. So why not maximize on the opportunity? So what I did, I said, look, how about I provide the hookah? How about I provide that at the Airbnb? So that way when they get there, they don't have to worry about going to get it. Some Sometimes they're driving in or flying in. They don't have it. So I added that as an offering at the Airbnbs that allowed it, right? I couldn't do it everywhere, but I could do it at particular locations. So that was a differentiator for me that allowed me to have a lot of success. So that one property that I started doing that at went from like, you know, went from being like a $2,000 a month profit location to a $4,000 a month profit location because I was lumping in wine. I was lumping in hookah. I was lumping in airport transport. And I could throw in a car, right? So I was doubling my profit by just adding in just those services. Now, at the time, we were still cleaning our own property. So we're also keeping the money for cleaning services as well. So, you know, it's, it's ways to maximize that profit. And in international settings, you're able to do that and then some. Because in Mexico, you can do private chefs, right? Mm. You airport transportation from Cancun, which is- Come on, talk- could be a hundred dollars per per trip, right? You can do excursions, right? You could do beach passes, day passes to beach clubs, um, concierge services for large groups, parties, design, hosting for parties, for events, for people that are going down there for girls trips, for guys trips, for special occasions, right? So it's just a bigger, it's a it's a bigger business opportunity that I think that I was able to tap in to at a at a small scale here in Atlanta to differentiate my Airbnbs with, you know, providing some of those additional services that now I've been able to kind of extend internationally and show people how to do internationally um, and domestically. So it's exciting, man. I love doing it. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about it. We're good at it. Uh, so it's something that we plan to continue to do. Um, and I've, I've been blessed enough to be able to share that with my company that, Hey, I'm going to do real estate and my wife and I are going to do real estate and business outside of work. Is that okay? And have that open and honest conversation. And it's never been an issue with any of the organizations that I've worked for. So as long as you continue to do well at your job, I don't think you having a side hustle or a business outside of work, as long as you can you know, disclose it when the time is right. If it's a little small thing in infancy, no need to. But once it becomes a substantial business, I think you owe it to your organization to be open and honest about that. So I have that conversation with your HR team or your boss. I've been able to do that. So I don't have to go around tiptoeing or being sneaky about it. Uh, it's a it's an open and honest thing. And I've got a coworker who actually just uh, reached out to me who wants to book my place in Tulum. So uh, it, it becomes kind of clientele for you as well. If you do it right. You were selling me on Tulum without you even knowing it. I'm like, man, when is our anniversary? Again? I know what it is. <laughs> hey, come Ooh. on. Come on. <laughs> I'm you. like, Lord of mercy. That's not a private chef. You know, you know how much points I would get if I was to go to Tulum? Hey, brother, brother. I, private I, I, chef there. Man. I got you, brother. I got you, man. Hey, I, I, might, hey, look, I, might, I, have, I might have eight kids by that time. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. Oh man, let me. I have to do this for the for the for the audience here. Listen to those two words again: stewardship and leverage. He was able to steward what he had, and he was able to use that leverage to grow it and maximize it. And so he, because he was doing a great job at his job. He was able to leverage that goodwill that he had with them to even expand his business more and not have any problems on the home front. You got to take care of business first. And so, man, 
Yeah. Man, this is going to be tech, tech. A lot of people, I know a lot of people outside mm. of tech don't understand this because I get this question all the time. Like when they see, man, y'all got all these properties. You got the property management company. You got the cleaning company. You got the, the rental cars. I've, I've now since kind of really just focused on the real estate side. Um, obviously, now with some of the concierge stuff that we're doing in Mexico, no doubt. But, you know, a lot of times people say, why do you still work? Why do you still do your job in tech? Why don't you just focus on your business? You got a successful business that you can live off of. Why are you still working in tech? Why are you still working your nine to five, right? Well, if my job was a nine to five, I probably wouldn't be working. But my job is not. Your job is not. We're lucky enough to be in an industry where we have flexibility, uh, number one, to be able to work remotely. And in Facts. some cases, we have flexible schedules to be able to do our job when we need to. That is maybe unconventional to some people. But, you know, as long as I put in my eight hours or seven hours or six hours or nine hours a day, it doesn't really matter when I do it. As long as I'm present for the meetings that I have to be in, um, the rest of my work can get done whenever I need to get it done. It can get done at mm -hmm. midnight, at 1 a.m. It can get done at 6 a.m. And mm -hmm. I have that in between time to be able to do whatever I need to do. Right. So mm -hmm. that is the benefit of working in the tech field that not all industries provide now thanks to covid you're noticing a shift in even traditional roles that have some of that same flexibility but i've had that flexibility for the past 10 years right so you know just just take that for what it is um but so i encourage people that want to do things outside of work who may think um you know tech is for them uh to, to leverage it for what it is but also build a nest egg for your family because the lifestyle that you want to leave and that you want to uh, that legacy that you want to leave for your family. Tech is good, but it may not get you that legacy level income um, that, that you have the desire to be able to do for your family and the lifestyle you want to provide for your family. So tech is great. So continue to work that avenue. But I would recommend, and this is just for me, um, you know, to build up something that you can that you can pass down, build up that LLC, that S Corp, something that you're passionate about, rather be Airbnb or real estate or anything or something, just something. Work on a pet project. Um, and, and hand that over and get your kids involved as they get older. Um, that's what I'm doing now. And it's rewarding. It kind of you know, it gives me motivation to keep pushing and get up in the morning. Woo. He, Cort, Cortez says no lies. Tech is like music in the music industry. You know, music in itself yeah. is a vehicle that allows you to do merchandising, that allows you to perform. I'm, when I talk about music, I'm talking yeah. about the physical, the mechanical uh, CD or or in this case, MP3s as we have it digital now, but th that is a vehicle for the more. And so tech is the same thing. Tech is a vehicle for the more. And what we have to understand is that we have to leverage that word again. We have to, yeah. we have to steward our jobs, but we have to leverage the income, leverage the things that we're getting yeah. from it for yeah. the other. So, man, we're going to wrap it up here. But this was, oh, when I say gems upon gems were dropped, if you didn't catch it, I feel sorry for you. You got to watch it again. Uh, but gems were, were here. So that's why I say get into tech, y'all. And if you want to figure out where you need to be in tech, keep watching these videos. You're probably going to find your space eventually. So I want to just kind of wrap it up with the, with the mindset here. In regards to everything that we said, I think we kind of summed it up already with stewardship and with, with leveraging. How would you sum up the mindset that someone needs to have, not only to be where you are, but to scale yeah. from where you are? Yeah. I mean, I think the big takeaway for me, if I look back at my career, 
um, you know, I've been able to, I think, elevate and take advantage of those opportunities that were presented to me um, and get in and be a sponge. Just be a sponge, right? Just get in and soak up, have that hardworking, you know, attitude that's going to get you recognized, have that humility that's going to, they're going to want people um, to, 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 to give you things uh, with having that humility, but walking in that humility with that quiet confidence. I think that combination, if you can play that right, I think that can really help you get into those settings and, and, and do well and then network, right? So networking, sponge, right? And then having that quiet confidence, that humility along the way. Those three things I think are the major kind of dynamics that I've been able to play on throughout my career and be, be kind of that sneaky assassin that, you know, he's quiet, but man, when he speaks, he's knowledgeable. And mm. when you're in that meeting, um, you're at that board table, you're at mm. that, you're in a Zoom mm. now, right? So it's no, it's, it's not so much being in a boardroom and a big table like it was when I first started. Now you're in a Zoom call with 40 people, 50 people, 12 people, whatever it may be. But when it's your turn to add value, it's your turn to speak. Make sure you're bringing value. Make sure you're speaking with, speaking with confidence and make sure you're bringing knowledge about whatever it is that you can bring to the table. And mm. you do that consistently enough and you do those other things by being able to network and learn and sponge up and all those other things, um, I think you'll be noticed. You'll be able to elevate your career. Mm. And if you don't elevate where you are, be quick to pivot and quick to move because there's always another company that's out there that will value you and that will pay you for what you know and what you can bring to the table. So mm. don't sit at a place too long to where they take you for granted. Get up, pack up, leave. If they're not paying you what you need to be paid, and if they're not giving you the opportunities that you know you deserve. So I was always mm. quick to do that until I found a place that I felt comfortable to be myself that gave me opportunities to learn mm. and grow. So don't be afraid to do that. I have, I have to do it one more time. <laughs> I periodically do this on the show whenever this moment comes up with this Warren Buffett boat quote. I have to say it. Should you find yourself in a chronically leaking boat, energy devoted to changing vessels is likely to be more productive than energy devoted to patching leaks. Love it. You heard, what, you heard, you heard Mr. Cortez say it himself. If they don't value you there, if the glove don't fit, you got to quit. You got to go. You got to move on. <laughs> you got to move on. <laughs> you got to move on. I love it. Oh, my. Wow. I'm going to be watching this for myself a couple of times. Uh, and I hope you do the same. But don't only like like one time, whatever. Share this. Comment below. What are your thoughts about what Cortez says about everything? I mean, there's so many nuggets in here. We could have dialogue for for the rest of the year about this one conversation. Put it in the comment section below. Let's talk about it. I'm gonna put a link to his Airbnb uh, program that he has if you wanna get into that because you are saying, hey, I wanna actually leverage what I'm making in tech or leverage what I'm making period. And I wanna kind of get involved into real estate. He has a whole program tailored for that. Uh, if, if there's other things that he has, we'll talk about it offline to see what he wants to put down there. But this has been a wealth. This has been a well, oh, this has been a well family. And I want to make sure that everybody gets a drop to drink because you do not wanna miss the gems that were here. You do not wanna miss the gems that were here. So with that being said, my, my heart is full. My mind is clear. And I hope yours is too. Until next time, I hope to see you on the other side. Take care, family.
Thanks. So we can run this race again.